This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! Christmas to all of you swannies out there listening to this ridiculous podcast today, which is December 25th, Christmas Day of 2021. It's just me today. Nathan is off enjoying Christmas with his family. I'm so happy for him that he's able to do that. I was going to do the same and then Omicron happened uh, and I am vaccinated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which basically doesn't work against Omicron. So uh, because I have some underlying health conditions that put me at higher risk for COVID, I had to stay home for Christmas. I was going to go see my family and I was so excited to go visit everybody, but now I'm not. But one good thing came out of uh, out of this event, and that's that uh, I was able to write a short story, a short work of fan fiction, if you will, to uh, explore what might happen at Christmas time in the town of Swan's Crossing. And that is my gift to you. Uh, I wrote this from the best that's in me, and also with no small amount of rage over the fact that I almost got to have a normal holiday celebration with my family, and it got pulled out from under me at the last second by this fucking pandemic. Enjoy my gift to you today, the spirit of giving and the spirit of Christmas. At least I can be with you today in your ear holes with this incredibly stupid story. All right, here we go. Christmas in Swan's Crossing, December 18th, 1992. Glory Booth opened her window and leaned out into the chill of a winter night. Another bank of clouds had rolled in that afternoon, the last school day before winter break, and covered the seaside town of Swan's Crossing with a mantle of gray. Now the snowfall had come, fat flakes of white spinning in the light from Glory's bedroom, drifting down to fill the footprints in the old layers of snow that had blanketed the Booth estate since mid-November. She breathed in the clear, sharp scent of new snow, felt the muffled silence of a wintry world expanding all around her. There were no distant sounds of caroling, no laughter from parties at the other mansions on Glory's wooded street. All of Swan's Crossing had withdrawn into itself, sinking torpid into the bitter cold of the season. Glory shook her head, trying to dismiss her own dark mood. Her long hair slid over her shoulder, and snowflakes caught among the red strands. She smiled, watching the crystals melt into shifting shapes, each prettier than the last. There's always some good to find, Glory told herself, something pretty to see or some happy thought to think, even on a bad day. She'd had a whole series of bad days lately. In fact, the entire autumn had been pretty miserable. All of her friends had moved on to Swan's Crossing High School for their freshman year, and Glory had been left to navigate the eighth grade alone. Middle school wasn't the same without her boyfriend JT to hold her hand at lunchtime, or her big brother Garrett to protect her from bullies. 
After all the drama of that crazy summer, Glory had at least hoped that her friends would find their first semester of high school enjoyable. But from what JT and her brother had said, everyone had struggled these past few months. Callie Walker was showing up to classes late, with dark rings around her eyes as if she hadn't been sleeping well, and JT had heard her muttering about Barrick. Jimmy Clayton had gotten so flustered over a history assignment that he'd crashed his minibike into a brick wall, dislocating his shoulder again. And Sandy Swan freaked out on the very first day of school and dyed her hair teal with Kool-Aid, a fashion faux pas which no one in the high school had yet allowed her to live down. Owen still hadn't grown any taller, which was making him real crabby whenever Glory tried to say hi to him at the library or at Swan's Cafe. And Sidney Rutledge, well, she was having a real identity crisis as far as Glory was concerned. Sydney was no longer the poised, self-assured go-getter in smart business attire the girl Glory had known the previous summer and all the years before. No, entering a new school where freshmen were the very lowest in the pecking order had shaken Sydney to her core. She had experimented with all kinds of outfits, from hot pink tube tops to newsboy caps with checkered blazers, from white lace bodysuits to black leather bomber jackets, trying to find a bold style that would stand in for her lost confidence. Sydney had started biting her nails, Garrett had reported with obvious glee, and she was listening to Nirvana now. Nirvana? Glory sighed, but the snow went on falling, heedless of her sorrow. Nothing was the same as it had been that summer. Everyone was changing so fast. The group of friends who'd been so close through elementary and middle school was drifting apart already. There has to be something I can do, Glory thought. Some way to remind everyone of how much we all mean to each other. Suddenly, she knew exactly what her friends needed. A reason to gather together in the spirit of the holiday. Christmas was a time for warmth and giving and friendship and fun. And Glory knew she could make a little Christmas magic that would inspire all her old friends to remember the important things about themselves and about each other. A secret Santa gift exchange, she said to the falling snow. It's perfect. She smiled radiantly at the winter night, then shut her window and set to work on her own dose of holiday magic. December 19th, 1992. The next morning, Glory bundled up in a puffer coat and a warm woolen hat and set off on foot through the town of Swan's Crossing with a bundle of envelopes tucked under one arm and her breath frosting the air. She'd stayed up late the previous night, creating the letters to each of her friends, carefully disguising her handwriting, adding festive touches of glitter and drawings of Christmas trees and Santa's sleigh. One by one, she visited the homes of her friends, slipping the envelopes into mailboxes or tiptoeing up onto the porches of mansions to slide the invitations into the cracks of front doors. With each secret delivery, Glory felt a little happier. Certain her plan was a good one, reassured that soon her friends would put aside their new high school worries and remember just how special friendship really was. Her cheeks were burning against the winter chill with their flush of pleasure. She had only two more letters to deliver. To the DeCastro mansion, home of her friend Saja and his older sister Sophia. Glory started up the long, curving drive toward the DeCastro mansion. Their groundskeeper had cleared the drive of last night's snow, but the perfectly trimmed box hedges were softened and rounded by marshmallowy whiteness. The DeCastro home loomed up from the morning haze, a Greek revival affair as stark and pale as the winter itself. Glory hoped she might reach the mail slot in the front door before anyone spotted her, but when she was little more than halfway down the drive, the front door of the DeCastro mansion opened abruptly, and Saja stepped out into the cold. Glory stumbled to a halt on the plowed driveway. 
Even at a distance, she could see that something was weighing on Saja. He was normally a patient, philosophical boy with an optimistic attitude, but now he slouched in front of the door, peering out at the frozen grounds with a bleary, almost cynical expression. Glory had grown used to seeing Saja in colorful kimonos, his tousled dark hair held back with a hachimaki. Now he wore a pair of baggy pants, almost wide enough to qualify as Junkos, along with a faded Slayer tee under a rumpled flannel shirt. Saja? Glory said hesitantly. He came toward her, hands shoved in the pockets of his jeans. Oh, Glory, I thought that was you. And it's just Bobby now. I'm not Saja anymore. I brought you something, Glory said. You and Sophia, it was supposed to be a surprise, but I guess it doesn't hurt if you know it's from me. She handed over the last two letters. Saja glanced at the envelopes with bland disinterest. What's this? He asked dully. I thought it would be fun to get the old group together for a secret Santa gift exchange. Now that she'd said it out loud to another kid, Glory was embarrassed by her idea. It was childish. Stupid. I guess it's kind of dumb, she added. Saja shook his head, looking up with a sympathetic smile. No, it's not dumb. It's cute. You're a real sweet girl, Glory. The way he said it made Glory feel as if a gulf of years had opened suddenly between them. Of decades. She was still just a girl, a child, stuck in eighth grade while all her friends were off to high school without her, practically adults already. She peered up at Saja's face, trying to read his expression, while he opened the envelope with his name on it. There was a weariness in his eyes that alarmed Glory, even while it intrigued her. Saja seemed almost... old. Beaten down by the cares of the world, by all the harsh demands of high school life. He'd always had such a vivid imagination, but now he seemed hopelessly down to earth, all the spark of his personality dimmed to this sad, gray nothingness. Glory could already see the man he was turning into. Cynical, hard-edged, a realist through and through, with a weight of practicality around his neck that would drag like a millstone. Well, she thought with a humorless smile, you gotta grow up sometime. Glory could guess what had stripped all the joy from Saja's personality. He'd been head over heels in love with Callie Walker since she'd first arrived in Swan's Crossing that summer. Saja had done his best to win Callie's heart, but by the time the school year had started, it was clear to everyone that Callie had made her choice. She and Jimmy Clayton were an undisputed item, and once that fact had settled into the concrete reality of Swan's Crossing, Saja had sunk into cold, hard reality as well. He was just a normal freshman boy now. Lonely, grouchy, and heartbroken. So what's the big idea? Saja asked, unfolding the letter. He blinked in surprise as red and green glitter rained down around his feet. Glory said, I was thinking we could each give our assigned person fun little presents every day of winter break. Nothing big, just candy canes and things like that. But on Christmas Eve, we can all meet to exchange our real gifts and find out who our secret Santa was all along. I don't know if I can give anyone a real gift, he said. Lately, I feel like I don't know anyone in this town, even though I've grown up with them. Most of them. Glory was about to reply, but Saja went on with a sudden flare of passion. That's the problem. I've been in this town too long. You're only 14, Glory said. 14 years is long enough. Just four more to go and I'll be on my own. I can get out of here. Go to a real place, a real city where people aren't so fake and shallow, where they care about things that really matter. Come on, Saja, Glory said. Bobby, he insisted. Fine, Bobby. Swan's Crossing isn't so bad. We're all good people here. He looked at Glory with a sad, almost pitying smile. 
You know, Glory, I really admire your sweetness, your naivete. Glory stifled a sigh. Everyone thought she was naive, but Glory knew she wasn't. She just saw more of the people around her than anyone else could see. She looked deeper. She knew all her friends for who they really were, in spite of the walls they put up to protect themselves from judgment, from humiliation, from loss. And wasn't that the point of this Christmas experiment? She wanted her friends to look more carefully at one another, to see each other more clearly. Just promise me one thing, she said to Saja. Really think hard about the gift you'll give your recipient. Put some effort into it, Bobby. Look deep into what you know about him and give him a present you think he really deserves because of who he is, all the way down to his heart. Saja held her gaze for a moment. Glory couldn't guess at his thoughts, but then he smiled timidly and nodded. Sure, I promise, Glory. I guess that's what the spirit of Christmas is supposed to be about, hey? Then he read the letter in his hand more closely. Garrett! Wait, I'm the secret Santa for your brother? It was random, Glory said carefully. In fact, there had been nothing random about the matching of secret Santas to their recipients. Glory had considered each pairing with the greatest of care, striving to assign the roles in a way she hoped would foster a greater understanding among them all and bring the whole group back together again. She patted Saja on his shoulder. I know you'll figure it out, Saja. You'll find a gift for Garrett that's really what he deserves. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the town of Swan's Crossing, Letter for you, Miss Sydney! The dulcet British tones of Ralph, generational butler to the Rutledge clan, floated down the oak-paneled hall and into the oak-paneled bedroom of Sydney Rutledge, the only child of her illustrious family, the scion who carried on her slender shoulders the weight of familial expectation. She kicked aside her comforter and rose from her four-poster canopy bed, pulling on a silk dressing gown and hastily smoothing her dark hair. She'd lain in bed long enough. The morning was already slipping away. Oh, the relentless fall of sands through the hourglass. And Sydney had accomplished nothing yet on this bright, cold December day. Nothing. What would her mother say? What would her teachers think of her lazing about, her shameless slacking, all those new teachers at the high school she still hadn't convinced herself to like, with its sterile halls and buntingless classrooms, its ghoulishly ordinary students? Coming, Ralph! She hoped the old retainer couldn't detect the weariness in her voice. When had she grown so tired? The mayoral race was finally over and her mother, Muffy Rutledge, had been voted in for another term. The Rutledge ascendancy was secure, Sydney's status as the most important girl in town was assured, until the next election at any rate. And yet, she was so damnably tired of life, of everything. As she crossed to her bedroom door, she caught a glimpse of herself in the mirror. After the holiday party she'd attended the night before with her mother, Sydney hadn't removed her makeup carefully enough, and now her mascara was smudged, as if to accentuate her world weariness and the helpless youth of her features. She stared at herself, then stared some more. She looked frail, waifish, too weak to fight all the monsters she could feel nipping at her heels, always nipping, always demanding. Social obligations. The public eye. Never blinking as it watched her, watched her, waiting for the perfect Sidney Rutledge to slip up and expose one of her many flaws for ridicule. A pensive piano chord played from somewhere in the mansion. A haunting minor key. Miss Sidney! Ralph called again. Sidney blinked and snapped out of her dreadful reverie. Yes, yes, Ralph, I'm coming. 
She opened the door and accepted an envelope from the butler's hand. Sydney didn't recognize the handwriting, but it was addressed to her. After Ralph had gone away to fetch her breakfast of crepes and coffee with plenty of sugar and cream, Sydney sank onto her fainting couch to read the missive. When she opened the envelope, glitter poured out, which made her click her tongue in disgust. It would take Ralph ages to vacuum that damnable glitter out of the cracks in the hardwood floor. The letter piqued her interest, though. A secret gift exchange. Now this could prove a worthy distraction from her winter holiday doldrums. Maybe she would be assigned to Nancy and could find some sly way of sticking a dagger into her friend's back. She and Nancy were always trading barbs. It kept them both sharp and reminded all the girls of Swan's Crossing just who was on top and who wasn't. Or maybe she'd be assigned to Mila. Little Miss Perfect, the angelic beauty whom all the boys fawned over and all the girls wanted to be. Sydney would relish the chance to pay Mila a backhanded compliment by way of some ironic gift. Something clever, something subtle enough to slip past Mila's notice so the girl would be humiliated in the eyes of her peers without even knowing how masterfully Sydney had played her. She turned over the letter, reading eagerly to find out who her recipient would be. Callie! Sydney blurted. Sydney lay back on her fainting couch, felled by shock. She could have had a sly laugh with anyone in Swan's Crossing as her gift recipient, anyone but Callie Walker. She knew almost nothing about the tomboyish mechanic. No one in Swan's Crossing knew Callie well, perhaps not even her boyfriend, Jimmy. The Walker family had always liked it that way. In generations past, the Walkers had kept conspicuously to themselves on their densely forested estate, while Callie and her father had lived for years on a submarine, traveling from port city to port city. How can I find a gift for Callie? Sydney cried. Her shout echoed from the paneled walls, but no answer came from the empty depths of the Rutledge mansion. Sydney wandered to her window bench and sank down slowly, staring through the window in pensive silence. She saw nothing of the snow-covered estate beyond the glass. She felt nothing of the chill that pressed through the frosted panes. She felt only the weight of her social obligations. Endless obligations, a never-ending burden to carry. One by one, all across the town, the hip, cool teens of Swan's Crossing found their secret Santa letters and discovered their partners for the gift exchange. Not a one of them was pleased, not at first, for Glory had matched each of them with a person who most needed their sympathy and understanding. If her plan worked, by Christmas Eve night, the whole group would be in harmony once more, or as much harmony as they ever found. The week of winter break began to pass in a bright blur of family dinners and neighborhood parties, where every old money clan of the town did their best to outshine the others with extravagant displays of evergreens, strings of lights, and sparkling ornaments. Through all the commotion, Glory kept up her morning strolls through Swan's Crossing, peeking around snow-covered hedges and the stone pillars of wrought iron gates to watch as her friends found the candy canes, chocolates, cookies, and novelty socks they'd left for one another on porches and in mailboxes or on the dock, in the case of Callie, who lived in a submarine for some reason. Day by day, Glory's friends were growing in cheer. Their smiles when they found their secret Santa gifts lit each morning and carried Glory into every evening festivity on a raft of summer-bright sunshine. She could hardly wait for Christmas Eve night, when they would meet in person to exchange their final presents and reveal their identities to their partners. There was only one hitch in her plan. 
On the fourth morning of the gift exchange, Glory stepped out onto her front porch to find a plate of chocolate crinkle cookies, her favorite, wrapped in cellophane and waiting on the porch swing. She knew her secret Santa was Owen, of course. The numbers wouldn't have come out right if she hadn't included herself in the gift exchange. And Owen had been diligent in leaving little surprises for Glory each day. But Saja still hadn't left a single gift for Garrett. He'd always been forgetful and dreamy when he'd insisted that everyone should call him Saja, but the new Bobby DeCastro was more down-to-earth. Allowing a whole week of gifts to slip his mind didn't seem like the sort of thing Bobby would do. Glory made up her mind to go and talk to Bobby that very day, and find out what had held up Garrett's presence. She pulled on her snow boots and made the trek across town to the DeCastro mansion. She knocked on the front door, but there was no answer. Glory tried the door handle, and to her surprise, found the mansion unlocked. She pushed the door open slowly and called, Hello? Still there was no answer. The DeCastro home was silent, all the lights off, not a sign of life within. They must have gone off to some party or other, Glory decided. She was about to shut the door when she heard a muffled voice from somewhere at the top of the grand staircase, a low muttering, barely audible, and yet there was no mistaking her friend's voice. Bobby? Glory called. The muttering grew a little louder, but no one appeared. Was Saja in trouble? Was he hurt or sick? Glory forgot all about the Georgian manners her mother had raised her with and ran into the DeCastro home uninvited, pounding up the staircase, calling for her friend. She found Saja on the landing, crawling on hands and knees, wide-eyed and staring blindly into the middle distance. He was dressed in a sweat-soaked kimono and his hair was rumpled as if he'd tossed in restless sleep or as if he'd been writhing on the ground in the grip of some terrible fit. Oh my god, Glory shouted, falling to her knees beside her friend. Bobby, are you okay? Say something! It's Saja, he rasped. Not Bobby. Saja, what happened to you? She took him by the shoulders, shook him roughly, slapped him lightly on one cheek, then the other. With an effort, Saja sat up, his eyes focused. He blinked at Glory, his expression still awash with a terrible awe. Where are your parents? Glory demanded. Your sister! Gone to the Hamptons, Saja said. I refused to go this year, so they left me here. They'll be back by Christmas. Are you sick? What happened, Saja? No, no, not sick. I've... I've found myself, Glory. The haze of disorientation began to lift from his eyes, but the expression of wonder only grew. I've been thinking since the last time I saw you, thinking about what to give Garrett for his secret Santa gift. Yes, Glory prompted. She didn't see what the gift exchange could possibly have to do with Saja's present state. I couldn't think of anything to give him, Saja said, but what you said really stuck in my mind. Give him what I think he really deserves deep down in his heart. Well, I couldn't figure out what Garrett deserves when I was Bobby. So I brought Saja back, and it all felt so right, Glory. As soon as I put on my kimono, I knew I had it in me to really get to the bottom of Garrett's soul and figure out exactly what kind of gift he deserves. It wasn't easy. I mean, Garrett's a, a very different person from me. I found it hard to empathize with him, you know? Hard to really understand why he is the way he is. What's that supposed to mean, Glory said, folding her arms defensively. Never mind, Saja answered. What's important is this. I cast the I Ching, and I did some shamanic drumming with my Fisher-Price drum, and I got into a trance state, really deep, deeper than I've ever been before. I... I think I might still be in a trance, in fact. 
I'm not sure any of this is really happening. Oh, it's happening, all right, Glory said. In that state, Saja went on, touching all that chi, all that power, I think I opened something. Opened something? A prickle of dread ran up Glory's spine. A portal, Saja said. A passageway. To what? Uh, I don't know exactly. All I know is that I've made a way for Garrett's karma to come through, to manifest itself in this world, the real world, if you can call this world real. You're starting to scare me, Bobby. It's Saja, he insisted. Glory held up her hands in a placating gesture. Sure, okay, whatever. Listen, you need some rest, and probably some Gatorade. Go get in your bed, and I'll bring you something to drink and some saltines from the kitchen. When Saja was tucked into his bed, nibbling weakly at the crackers and sipping from the tall glass of sport drink Glory had brought him, she asked, What about Garrett's presence? We're four days into the gift exchange and you've kind of left him in the lurch. I haven't, Saja said. Your brother is definitely going to get a Christmas surprise. Glory sighed. He'd better, Saja. And you'd better be there when we all meet up on Christmas Eve. If Garrett's left out, he'll be humiliated in front of everyone. He'll be hurt. I'll never forgive you if you hurt my brother. Saja narrowed his eyes at Glory. He wasn't angry. He was quietly assessing her. She felt that strange prickle of caution again. Saja had never looked at her that way before. It was almost as if he were looking into her, seeing what was in her heart. You always think the best of everyone, he said thoughtfully. Of course I do. Why shouldn't I? Saja didn't answer that question. Your eagerness to see the good can blind you to what everyone else can see. You look for pleasant things so much that you can't see the writing on the wall, even when it's black and white and the letters are ten feet tall. Glory shook her head in helpless dismay. Garrett has a karmic debt, Saja said. Sooner or later, he's going to have to pay that debt off. Maybe getting his feelings hurt, maybe getting humiliated in front of all our friends, will be part of that repayment. Whatever you say. Glory was weary from all Saja's mystical mumbo-jumbo. Just get some rest, and on Christmas Eve, you better be there or be square. All the way home, she thought about karma and debts and the necessity of repayment. She didn't entirely understand the things Saja had said. Who could ever understand Saja? But nevertheless, his words had worked their way into Glory's consciousness, sticking fast inside her like a barbed hook. Since Saja had failed to deliver the small presents to Garrett, Glory made up her mind to do it herself. When her mother drove into the heart of town for some last-minute shopping, Glory went along, using her allowance to buy Garrett a few doodads that would delight him and keep him up to speed with the rest of the kids in the gift exchange. That evening, she placed all of Garrett's presents in a green and red gift bag, hid them under the porch swing, and then, when the evening snowfall began, she dragged her brother outside to watch the flakes spinning down. It's been snowing every day this week, Garrett said. What's so special about this night? It's cold out here. I've got better things to do. Just shut up and enjoy it. Glory hooked her arm with her brothers, forcing him to remain on the frosted porch. Great. Snow. Wow, it's so pretty. Now can I go back inside? Glory glanced over her shoulder, pretending to notice the gift bag for the first time. Look, Garrett, what's that? Garrett sighed. Rolling his eyes, he retrieved the gift bag from under the porch swing. He read the tag hanging from the bag's edge. Hey, it's for me. Looks like you aren't the only one who's got a secret Santa, sis. Garrett reached into the bag, first finding the card Glory had included. 
Once again, she'd disguised her handwriting and written a note to Garrett from his secret Santa, apologizing for being late with his presence. I got hung up at the North Pole, Garrett read, chuckling. Well, let's see how well this Santa knows me. He pulled out the gifts one by one. A new set of binoculars for spying on the neighbors, a box of plaster nails for hanging up the Fabian shade, which he used for tormenting Sidney Rutledge, a bag of black licorice, Garrett's favorite candy, and finally, a shining white silk scarf, no wider than a hand's breadth, to wear with his suits at the many formal dances at the Swans Club. All right, Garrett exclaimed, draping the scarf around his shoulders. This is already the best Christmas ever. Really? Glory beamed at him, glad her presence had brought him some cheer. Sure is, Garrett said. He turned to admire his reflection in the parlor window. Ooh, I love my elf. I'm so sorry. Sorry I did that. What have you given your partner so far? Glory asked. I got JT, Garrett said. That loser. Garrett, you aren't supposed to tell who you got. Glory knew all the pairings, but she wouldn't reveal herself as the organizer until the big night came. Whatever, Garrett said. I've given that lame brain a box of dog turds every day so far. Glory gasped. Garrett! Tell me you're joking! He snickered, smoothing the white silk scarf with his hands. Maybe I am, and maybe I'm not. I guess you'll find out on Christmas Eve. With that, he went back into the house. Glory was left alone on the porch. If that brother of mine isn't joking, if he really gave my boyfriend dog poop for Christmas, he's ruined the whole thing! He's ruined Christmas for me and JT and for everyone! Tears came to Glory's eyes, burning in the cold. She wrapped her arms around herself and shivered. Karma, she thought. A karmic debt. Maybe Saja wasn't so hard to understand after all. At last, Christmas Eve arrived. Well after sunset, when the night was dark and the street lamps were glowing golden against the light snowfall, Glory rode to Swan's Cafe on the back of Garrett's minibike, her arms wrapped tightly around her brother's waist. She had scarcely spoken to Garrett since the fourth night of the gift exchange, but she had kept up appearances, leaving another present for her brother on the porch swing every morning, though her heart was no longer in it. She'd been filled with sick dread as she waited for the big night. Certain Garrett had told the truth about the awful presents he'd given JT and unsure how to confront him over his crassness and cruelty. But she had her big gift for Neil in her backpack, a rare edition of a Nigerian university's studies on drama, which she'd had Mr. Han the Librarian track down for her from a rare book dealer upstate. She'd assigned herself to give presents to Neil in the intended spirit of the gift exchange, as a way of forcing herself to sympathize with JT's best friend, as a way of making herself like Neil, even though he was constantly trying to steal JT's time and attention away from Glory. Now she found that she was excited to give Neil his gift, eager to watch his face light up when he saw the rare book and flipped through its pages. She was less eager to see what would happen when JT opened the other present in Glory's backpack, a wrapped box which Garrett had handed her with another of his oily laughs. Garrett skidded his bike to a stop in the partially plowed lot outside Swan's Cafe. The restaurant was closed for the holiday, but the parking lot made an ideal meeting ground. Callie and Jimmy were already there, and moments after Glory and Garrett arrived... Owen pulled up in his dad's boat-like classic car. Sandy and Mila spilled out the moment he'd parked. Mila was calling to them all, waving her pink-mittened hands in excitement. Soon the Rutledge Mercedes pulled into the dark lot, driven by Ralph. Sidney exited the car, exquisitely wrapped in a fur coat with an old-fashioned fur muff covering her hands. Nancy tumbled out of the back seat, carrying two brightly wrapped packages under her arms. 
I've arrived, Sidney said coolly. The festivities can start now. Not yet, Glory said. We're still waiting for JT and Neil, and Saja and Sophia. The friends mingled and chattered outside Swan's Cafe while they waited. The night was bright with laughter and merriment. Glory's anxiety began to ease. Maybe Garrett had only been teasing about the dog poop. Maybe everything would turn out all right after all. A powder-blue Ford Fairlane with white-walled tires pulled into the lot. Glory took a few steps toward Sophia's car, but she stopped when only Sophia got out. "'Where's Saja?' Glory said. "'I couldn't find him at home,' Sophia said. "'I finally had to leave. I didn't want to be late. Whoever organized this little party went to so much trouble. I figured Bobby must have planned to come with JT. Anyway, he'd better show up because I'm secret Santa for that little creep.' She waved the gift box she'd been carrying. "'You weren't supposed to tell anyone yet,' Glory protested. Look, Callie called, isn't that Mrs. Atwater's Cadillac? The Atwater Cadillac glided smoothly into the lot. Glory's heart jumped when she saw JT in the back seat. He and Neil got out of the car and made their way toward their friends, but JT was scowling. Oh no, Glory said under her breath. Garrett, you didn't! Garrett moved out of the milling crowd, swaggering across the lot toward JT. Merry Christmas, Adams! Yeah, why don't you ram-cram your Merry Christmas straight up your butt, Booth? Please, Glory said, stepping between them. Don't fight. Not tonight. It's Secret Santa night. Ha, JT said bitterly. Real big secret. There's no mystery when you get a box of dog crap every day for a week. Glory rounded on her brother. How could you? I worked so hard to make this a nice, happy experience to bring everyone together, and you ruined it all. Garrett only laughed in reply. Mila put an arm around Glory's trembling shoulders. You organized all of this? Wow, Glory, this has been one of the best weeks of my life. I've never done a secret Santa party before. It was so exciting and I felt so loved. Glory sniffed back her tears. You, you did? Of course. You're all the best friends I've ever had and this has been the best Christmas. It has been a lot of fun, Jimmy said. I admit I was a little put off when I read my letter and saw that I'd been assigned to Nancy. Nancy looked around, wide-eyed, almost in a panic. I mean, Jimmy went on, things haven't been so great between Nancy and me, not for years now. But then I thought, isn't it kind of my fault? I haven't been the nicest to Nancy, and that's on me. Anyway, he concluded, holding out a small wrapped box. Merry Christmas, Nancy. She took the package, pale and quiet. The sound of Nancy tearing the paper from her gift silenced the whole group. She opened the small box and took out a handwritten coupon. One date as friends for a burger and fries at Swan's, Nancy read, to start over again. She looked up, beaming at Jimmy. And after that, Jimmy said, I figured we can go riding. Once on my bike, and then you can show me how to ride a horse. I'd like that, Nancy said, a lot. Here, you were my recipient, too. Jimmy took a heavy package from Nancy and opened it with a self-conscious smile. He revealed two sets of wrenches to the expectant crowd. His and hers, Nancy said, smiling at Callie. I know you're with Callie now, Jimmy, and I just wanted you to know that's fine with me. I thought the two of you could have a romantic time tinkering and tonkering or whatever you get up to at the tool and die. The friends exchanged their gifts one pair at a time. JT presented Owen with a theremin he'd built out of spare electronics. Owen gave Glory some new shears and a Walkman so she could listen to music while she was gardening. Glory presented Neil with the Nigerian drama journal, which made him do a little dance of excitement. For Mila, Neil had constructed a strange, glittery crown out of plastic balls and rods. They're molecule models, Neil explained. He pointed out the hexagonal shapes. 
It's a sucrose molecule, because you're so sweet. Mila donned the crown with an exclamation of pure joy. Then she dragged a heavy box from the backseat of Owen's car towards Sandy Swan. This is for you, Sandy. Mila, you were my secret Santa? Sandy lifted the lid from the box and looked up, mouth hanging open in shock. She lifted one expensive garment from the box, then another. I was going to write a song about you, Mila said. A ballad about how awesome you are, but I figured you're a much better songwriter and singer than I am, and that wouldn't impress you much. So instead, I cleaned out my closet. I found all the most rock star stuff I could, and now it's all yours! I've got loads more outfits than I could ever wear anyway. I hope you like them! Sandy handed her gift to Sydney. Sydney paused, staring at the small package in her hands. Glory could almost hear her thoughts. What could the poorest girl in Swan's Crossing give me? But Sydney wisely kept her mouth shut and opened the gift. It's a broken mirror, Sydney said, confused. She held the object up for the others to see. It was a cracked mirror in a simple frame of carved, age-worn wood. It's not just a broken mirror, Sandy said, almost apologetic. If you look closely, you'll see that the cracks have been repaired with gold. Well, it's not real gold, of course. It's just gold-colored glitter. I broke this mirror on accident the same way we got our secret Santa letters, and I thought, well, you haven't been yourself lately, Sydney. I wanted to remind you of who you are. So I put the pieces back together and stuck them together with glitter glue, and I found this old picture frame to hold them. Now whenever you feel down, you can look in this mirror and remember that you're always you. Even when you feel broken, you can still see yourself clearly, and sometimes the breaks just make the picture prettier. Sydney looked down at the mirror in her hands. Gosh, Sandy, she said quietly. I don't know what to say. I really think this is the nicest gift anyone has ever given me. Do you really? Sandy said. For answer, Sydney threw her arms around her friend and hugged her tightly. Now it was Sydney's turn to give her gift. She pulled away from Sandy and dabbed the tears from her eyes, then thrust a gold-wrapped present toward Callie. For me? Callie opened the package and withdrew a brightly colored silk scarf. It's an Hermé, Sydney said. Callie gave her an uncertain smile. Gee, thanks. Stifled giggles passed through the group. Fancy silk scarves weren't exactly Callie Walker's style. It's not a cast-off, Sydney said quickly. I bought it brand new, just for you. The colors, they made me think of water. You know, that time you pulled me out of the water and talked some sense into me? Callie grinned at her. I remember. Then she tied the expensive scarf around her neck. Thanks, Sydney. I'll treasure this, always. Callie passed her gift to Sophia, a new pair of driving gloves, and a handwritten coupon for a free tune-up on her Ford, redeemable any time. Sophia accepted the gift graciously, even warmly. I got Bobby, she said, but he still hasn't shown up. I got him some books on philosophy. I figured he'd like that now that he's getting all serious and down-to-earth. Glory looked around the parking lot, half-alarmed and half-disappointed. So Sadra had skipped out after all. Me next, Garrett said, almost yanking the backpack from Glory's shoulders as he wrenched the box from within. He held it out toward JT. Oh no, JT said, I'm not falling for this booth, not in front of everyone. Come on, Garrett said, where's your Christmas spirit? I guess it's wherever your soul is, JT shot back. You can eat whatever's in that box, Garrett. Okay, okay, Garrett said, all kidding aside. I know I punked you all week long, but I got you a real present for tonight. It's not dog poop, I promise. Scout's honor. JT looked warily at the box in his hands. So did the other kids. Aren't you even a little bit curious? Garrett cajoled. 
JT sighed heavily, then took the package from Garrett. Jaw clenching, he untied the ribbon and lifted the lid. Ah! JT dropped the box. It spilled the little round loaves of horse manure across the snow-dusted parking lot. Garrett! Glory yelled. What? Garrett said. I said it wasn't dog crap, and it wasn't. JT lurched toward Garrett with his fists balled. I ought to pound you into paste! Everyone rushed forward to hold JT back, but before they could reach him, an unholy bellow split the night. The sound raced through Glory's body with a sickening chill. It was animalistic, dark, like the terrible cry of some great dangerous beast before the slaughter, or hunting in the night. All the friends fell silent. Even Garrett was no longer smiling. They huddled together, staring through the cold night beyond the parking lot of Swan's Cafe, into the dark forest past the restaurant. The cry came again, guttural, sharp, stealing Glory's breath. A dim shape staggered out of the woods. It was Saja, his kimono hanging in tatters, his eyes wild and frantic, staring beyond them all into a place only he could see. It has come, Saja hissed. The portal is open. Karma is at hand. Karma, Garrett said weakly. What does he mean? At that moment, the forest itself seemed to move at Saja's back, the dark trunks of trees coalescing into a denser blackness, taking shape, half-human, half-animal. The black, shaggy creature strode out of the forest, following Saja, towering over him, the red glow of its small, keen eyes sweeping the huddled pack of teenagers. Garrett, Saja rasped. It is time! You will reap what you have sown! The debt must be paid! Stay back, Garrett yelled! Don't come any closer! What is that thing? Yet Saja continued toward them, staggering through the snow, and the creature moved at his back with a terrible, animal grace, an undeniable power. As Saja moved into the sallow ring of a streetlight, they could all see the beast clearly. Its body had the shape of a human, albeit a very large one, yet it was covered head to toe in a shaggy black pelt. Its head was a twisted parody of a goat's head, with two arching black horns rising from its skull. Slaver dripped from its caprine muzzle, and a long, pointed red tongue snaked out to lick its chops. In one hand it carried a bundle of birch twigs, in the other a length of shining chain. Glory could see that a strange woven basket was strapped to its back. The mouth of that basket seemed to gape with an unsettling hunger. It's... it's Krampus! Mila cried. Her terrified voice broke the spell. The friends screamed as one and broke in a dozen directions, fleeing across the slippery parking lot, struggling to get into Owen's car, hiding behind any bush or corner that presented itself. The black specter of holiday transgression bellowed again and bounded into their midst, its tongue flicking out as if to taste the air, its small eyes scanning through the chaos for its intended prey. Krampus raised its bundle of birch twigs above its head and brought them down with whistling speed. They cracked across Garrett's back, driving him to the ground. Help! Garrett cried, scrabbling and slipping on the ice, trying to rise. Somebody help me! There is no help for you, Saja intoned. The debt must be paid. Krampus lashed again, drawing a cry of pain from Garrett. I'm sorry, Garrett yelled. I'm sorry for everything. I'll never be bad again, I promise! Saja shook his head, piteous, implacable. It's too late for that, Garrett, much too late. You're getting exactly what you deserve now. Take him, Krampus! Take him now! 
The black creature roared again and swung the chain at Garrett. The links wrapped around him like the coils of a snake. Krampus lifted the struggling boy with no more effort than one lifts a feather. Casually, the beast tossed Garrett over its shoulder. Glory could hear the groan of wicker as Garrett landed in the basket on Krampus's back. The goat-headed beast gave one final bellow, shaking the bundle of birch twigs above its head. Then it wheeled and loped back into the forest. Only Garrett's muffled cries from inside the basket remained, fading in Krampus's wake. Silence returned to the night. The friends crept out of their hiding places, huddling together once more in the center of the parking lot. What the fuck just happened, Callie said. A shudder ran through Saja. The trance-like mist cleared from his countenance. He smiled a little grimly. Garrett got what he deserved, Saja answered. Just like you said, Glory. Glory realized she wasn't especially upset. She knew she ought to have been. She had just witnessed her brother dragged off to hell or wherever Krampus took his festive victims. Yet the moment no longer seemed frightening, nor did she feel sad. A sense of peace and contentment settled over her. Balance had been restored to the world. A cosmic debt had been paid. Glory chuckled. And it became a laugh. Soon all her friends were laughing along with her, throwing their arms around each other, pulling one another close in a group hug. This really has been the best Christmas ever, Sydney said. God bless us, everyone. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that festive tale of holiday peril, but only for Garrett, who totally deserved it. Whatever you celebrate, I hope you've done so with joy and safety this crazy pandemic season. And we will uh, see you again on February 12th when season four commences of Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I'm Libby Grant. Nathan's not here, but he is having fun. And uh, that's more than can be said for Garrett right now, who is in the grip of Krampus for all eternity. And until next time, my friends, may you get what's coming to you. Bye! Thank you.